This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. You're listening to episode 85. I'm what? Of the In Between podcast, where you'll discover ideas to build a strong, connected, and joy-filled marriage and family. My name is Daniel M. And I'm Christina M. Well, today is launch day! Yeah, fireworks! <laughs> so today is the day that my book that I've been working on for the last two years is released to the world. It's in the wild, folks. <laughs> you are what you do and six other lies about work, life, and love. Now, if you've been following along and listening to the last month of episodes, we've been talking about the different lies that we commonly believe. Believe about ourselves, believe about marriage, believe about parenting. And last week, we talked quite a bit about um, lies that we believe about parenting, but that lie really at the core is the belief that you are who you raise. So instead of maybe talking about that from a different perspective, I actually wanted to read a couple excerpts from the book for you, a couple of the longer ones. Now, I recorded a complete audiobook for this. It's going to be available on Audible. I don't know yet when it's going to be released. I know, what was it, a couple months ago, I was in Nashville recording mm-hmm. it in the studio. So it will be released soon. But until then, we just wanted to give you some excerpts from the book so you could get a taste for what that chapter is in the book. So because it's launch day, and if you cannot tell, we are so excited. (laughs) We wanted to give you, one of our listeners, part of our podcast family, a pair of the most amazing wireless earbuds. Yes. So I've done a lot of research and these aren't the Apple ones because actually I think that these ones are better and have better bass. So I've been using them for quite a bit. I'm not giving you my used ones. (laughs) We're going to send you a brand new pair. And just to give you an idea, it's six to eight hours of playtime, 60 hours with the case, 60 hours, and you don't even need to charge it. And the bass, is incredible so it's perfect for music and to listen to the in between show (laughs) your favorite podcast so to be entered into this amazing draw all you need to do is buy a copy of daniel's book and you can buy it wherever books are sold or go to danielm.com slash you are that's y-o-u-a-r-e and then all you need to do is take a screenshot of the receipt and send it to us which is in between podcast at gmail.com. That's M I M between podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. And then you'll be entered into a draw, and we'd love to send you a pair of my favorite earbuds. So, Daniel, why did you write this book, You Are What You Do? Because our definition of normal has changed seemingly overnight. For example, working a steady nine to five job isn't normal anymore. And waiting until you're retired to explore the world, try new experiences, eat delicious food and enjoy life isn't normal either. If retirement is even a thing anymore, right? What's now normal is this desire that we all have for freedom and flexibility, which is conveniently what the gig economy promises. And contrary to common belief, this isn't actually something that just affects those in their 20s and 30s. According to research, there are people in every generation who have side hustles because this desire for freedom and flexibility has become our new oxygen. It's the air that we breathe and the water that we drink. In fact, it's become so commonplace that it's no longer the exception and it's really affecting everything 
and everyone. So to your question, Christina, I wrote You Are What You Do because I wanted to examine the ways that this new normal was affecting everyday work, life, and love. And as I was digging into the research and examining the ways that this new normal was affecting the people that I interact with on a regular basis, I discovered seven lies, many of which we covered this last month in the previous episodes, that were subtly and subversively affecting us right to our core. You are what you do. You are what you experience. You are who you know. You are what you know. You are what you own. You are who you raise. And you are your past. In my book, You Are What You Do, not only am I writing to help readers recognize how to identify these everyday lies in their lives and why it's sketchy to build our lives upon them, but in, in the book, I also unpack the truth on the other side, the truth that leads to freedom, the truth that will move us from surviving to thriving, and ultimately the truth that will unlock a life of purpose, adventure, meaning and destiny. Mm, that sounds amazing. I love how um, it says in the Bible too, the truth will set you free, right? But if we don't know the truth, then we don't even know what lies we're believing. So Daniel, I'm wondering, who did you write this book for? I wrote it for the mom that's rediscovering herself as her children are growing older. Mm, been there, done that, doing it now. <laughs> and for the dad, talking about me, that's <laughs> wrestling through the tension of being present for his children while also trying to make ends meet and provide for the family. For the student who is not convinced that a nine to five traditional job is right for them. For the individual who wants clarity around their purpose and identity, since there's just so much cultural confusion about who we are and where our worth comes from. And really, I wrote it for anyone and everyone who is tired of the hustle, grind, and go of life and wants to experience something different. So if you feel like that is you, if you have identified with who Daniel is talking about, if you are that mom who's trying to rediscover herself, the dad who's just wrestling through things, the student, the person who just needs a little bit more clarity of who they are and why they're here on earth, you can go to danielm.com slash you are or anywhere books are sold. Okay, let's get into it because I'm really excited to hear the excerpts that you're talking about, Daniel. So we're going to hear you read two excerpts from the book, particularly from the chapter where you address the lie that you are who you raise. And just a side note, um, when Daniel was talking about this as he was pitching the idea to me, this was the point where I was like, uh, no matter what, if nobody else picks this up, we will do like self-publishing because I realize that I have believed the lie, you are who you raise, and I need this book because I need to know how to overcome this lie. All right. Are you ready? Because I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Here it is. When's the last time you handed your phone to your child? Not to make a call or look up directions somewhere, but just so that they'd be quiet or stop making a scene. I'm trying to do this less, but honestly, it's been my default reaction for years, and it all started with restaurants. Early in our marriage, when we couldn't afford babysitting and our children were toddlers, Christina and I would often bring them along on our dates to restaurants. Depending on the day, our meals at home were either focused on entertaining the kids or just making it through without spilling something. So on date night, things had to look and feel different. Well, at least we had to try. So to facilitate this romantic evening, we'd hand our phones or an iPad to our children to occupy them. It was brilliant. 
right? Instant babysitting. The kids loved it because they could watch as much as they wanted to. And for us, it actually felt like a date since we could talk and neither of us had to clean up afterward. I wish I could tell you that I vetted and pre-watched everything they consumed, but I didn't. Now, obviously, they weren't watching The Walking Dead or some sketchy show with mature content, but beyond the surface level of age-appropriate TV parental guidelines, I had no idea what messages my children were being subliminally fed through these shows, and subliminally being fed, they were. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you need to become a Luddite and destroy all access points to the media. I'm simply trying to make the connection for you between the research and everyday life. If media, which includes YouTube, has become the number one influencer for our children's career choices, what are the implications? Now, I get that parenting is tough, tiring, and often thankless, but if it's true that we reap what we sow, shouldn't we be paying more attention to what our children are watching? Instead of being passive, what if we tried to be more active in our parenting? And instead of being reactive, what if we were proactive? And here's the sixth lie of the book, you are who you raise. Whenever I connect with new parents, it's fun and stressful to think back and remember what it was like for Christina and me. As new parents, we thought we could plan and prepare for everything, absolutely everything. We were living in Seoul, South Korea at the time, and someone suggested that we go to some baby fair expo to learn everything we needed to know about being parents. Apparently, it was something parents did, so we just took their advice and went. And while it was definitely educational in some respects, it wasn't in the way we were initially thinking. Since none of the seminars were in English, and I wonder if they would have just been product pitches anyway, we basically walked around the convention center for what seemed like hours. It was like a vortex. There were so many people and an untold number of vendors that I literally lost my sense of direction in there. Instead of walking out confident, equipped, and prepared to raise a child, we left with a stroller, a UV sterilizer, and a lot of questions. We were definitely going to breastfeed, but what if Christina couldn't? There was no question our baby was going to sleep on her back, or was it her tummy? And we were obviously going to use disposable diapers, I think, and don't even ask me which carrier or wrap we were going to use. Eventually, we settled into a manageable rhythm. We were beginning to sleep at night and feel pretty confident in our ability to parent, and then our second child was born 15 months later. Just because something worked for our first daughter didn't mean that it was going to work for our second one, and vice versa. And then three years later, we had a boy who still needs help getting to sleep. Parenting is tiring, isn't it? The sleepless nights, either because you have a newborn that needs your help or a teen that refuses to listen, on top of the inertia of life, are just two of the many reasons we drift into rhythms and routines. It often seems like the only way to survive. I believe Thomas Jefferson put it best when he said, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and live and die by their habits. Okay, maybe that's not quite the way he put it, but nonetheless, you get the point. There's even research that discovered 40% of the actions people perform each day weren't actual decisions, but habits. Why do you think Steve Jobs wore the same clothes every day, and Charles Dickens took three-hour walks every afternoon, or how about the man famous for the Peanuts comic strips, Charles Schultz? Why do you think he had a ham sandwich and glass of milk almost every day for lunch? It's because we are creatures of habit. While you can probably identify your daily routines, 
and habits in certain areas, you likely aren't aware of the extent to which they drive and govern your life. So yes, you probably shower, brush your teeth, and put on your shoes in a certain order, but what about the way that you deal with conflict? Relax, express love, or parent, do you know why you do what you do? What makes all of this even more complicated is that the older we get, the harder it is to change. So the end result is that we drift. We end up sinking into the habits, routines, patterns, or normals of life. In other words, we slip from intentionality to laziness, from being proactive to being reactive, from action to passivity. And then one day we realize that we have no idea why we are doing what we're doing. And when it comes to parenting, that's a scary place to be. Whoa, let's stop there for a minute. Uh, Mm. Yeah, that is definitely a scary place to be, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, The fact that we can either be parents who are proactive, we can be parents who are reactive, Mm -hmm. or we can be parents who are sleeping. Yeah, and sometimes it's just about survival, or at least it feels like that. In the oh, yeah, years. especially when, I mean, talking about sleeping, especially when you're sleep deprived, mm-hmm. uh, or even there's such thing as mama brain, where your brain actually physically shrinks a little bit as going through pregnancy, and then the hormones of after pregnancy and breastfeeding and all of that. Definitely, yeah, the woman's body definitely goes through a huge change, and sometimes all we can do is survive. Yeah, and it's kind of weird to make this connection, but there's a reason people torture others with lack of sleep. Mm-hmm. True. Because it just makes you go crazy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. There's so many physiological effects to that. So if you're in that place, we're not saying, hey, snap out of it, because I know that there is definitely a time and a season that you need to show yourself grace. You need to show your spouse grace. You need to show your other children who are adjusting to your new family dynamic grace. But there also comes a time, and this will to give you hope as well, mm. there will come a time where it's not going to be that season anymore yeah so that's what we're talking about now you're out of that sleep deprived season situation continually you know feeling like you've just been hit by a truck and now you're going on to a new season where your children are in school maybe or even that you're approaching the fact that they might be leaving your house in a few years this is a situation that you're addressing right Yeah, exactly. And that first half that I talked about was from the section of this chapter where I was illustrating the way that we often believe this half-truth that you are who you raise. The wait is over. Find out what happens in the thrilling conclusion of the 12th Dead Sea Squirrels book, Babylon Breakout. Hi, I'm Mike Naraki, co-creator of VeggieTales, voice of Larry the Cucumber, and author of The Dead Sea Squirrels. Get ready for more daring rescues and hilarious jokes as Merle and Pearl and their animal friends embark on a ridiculous mission to bust the kidnapped Gomez family out of Babyland, a Bible-themed amusement park with talking animals. Young readers will love the nutty misadventures of 10-year-old Michael and his friends and will learn all about biblical life lessons such as forgiveness and friendship. Read all 12 Dead Sea Squirrels books, available wherever books are sold. What I'm about to read now is from the section of this chapter where I'm like, actually, you aren't who you race. Here is the other side. So you're ready to get into it? Of course. Bring it on. What about the children? While you might remember a time when freelancing, gigging, and having a side hustle was out of the ordinary, for children today, it's just ordinary. 
They don't know any different. The gig economy just is. It's normal, not new. Unfortunately, this also means that for the average child, the lies that we've explored in this book will not even seem like lies. If it's hard enough for adults to resist these lies, how much more so for children who don't know any different, especially children who are being raised by prideful parents who believe that their self-worth, self-esteem, identity, or meaning in life is all tied into the success of the children they raise. Just think about it. If a child grows up in an environment where success is defined by their parents, will the child ever feel accepted just as they are? For just being and not doing? And what if the child succeeds at something that he or she is passionate about, but that his or her parents never cared for? How do you think self-centered, prideful, or narcissistic parents will react? Underneath the surface, children who grow up with prideful parents that believe this lie will never feel accepted just as they are. Their parents will always drive them to succeed, often at things the kids never even originally chose for themselves. And it's only after they succeed at the things that matter most to their parents that they'll finally experience acceptance and love from their parents. Consider Tiger. As a child, since his dad was obsessed with golf, playing the sport was the only way to virtually guarantee time with and attention from his dad. But starting from when Tiger was a preteen, rather than using encouraging words to build up his self-confidence during practice, Earl would tear him down and verbally abuse him to try to toughen him up. In 2017, Tiger later admitted that Earl had trained him to be a cold-blooded assassin on the course by applying more of the principles he had learned and used while in the military. I get that there are times where tough love is necessary, but doesn't every child ultimately need to experience unconditional love and affection from his or her parents, regardless of what they do, how they perform, or how much they might mess up? Maybe Earl's method helped Tiger win more tournaments, but what do you think it did to his sense of identity and self-worth when he realized that winning was the only road to his dad's heart? And how directly did it then cultivate a narcissistic, addictive, and obsessive personality in Tiger that, like a time bomb, kept on ticking until it eventually exploded in his big sex scandal of 2009? Unfortunately, children who have been parented according to this lie often grow up believing that contentment is found in pleasing others, since this was the pattern set for them as children. So when these children become adults, they end up pursuing work, relationships, and hobbies in order to earn favor, love, and acceptance from others, not necessarily because they are passionate or called to it. They will make decisions for the very same reasons, to please others. Other people's needs and wants, especially their parents, will always come before theirs. And they will often pursue careers that place them in the public eye as politicians athletes, or entertainers, because they're longing for the attention that their parents either constantly gave them or never gave them. (sighs) (laughs) Just breathe. There's Bree. Now do you realize why I needed him to write this? (laughs) Because I feel like in my parenting that I... I could definitely fall down that path, right? Maybe Mm. not to the extreme of Tiger's dad's issues, but to the fact where I, I, I'm pretty sure my kids could realize when I was happy with their successes and with their failures when I was like, oh, 
what happened there? What could we do better next time? And all of that. And not that there's anything wrong with self-improvement of learning from your mistakes, but what is the underlying tone? If my motivation is to help them figure out why they failed because it looks better on me that they don't fail, you don't think our kids are smart enough to know that our love is maybe just a little bit conditional? Yeah, and that's the tricky thing because unconsciously, that's partly what's driving our behavior and a lot of our parenting tactics. It's because of the shame or the guilt or the embarrassment that we don't want to feel. So it kind of feels good when our kids are great and everyone loves them and everyone's like praising them. Right, because they're really kind of praising you, right? Exactly, exactly. And we feel so good about that. The, The flip side, though, is our children, not just our children, all children are very, very observant. And they know what they need to do to get our attention and what they do that doesn't get their attention. And sometimes negative attention, and this also this all the way goes into teenage years too, negative attention is better than no attention. Mm-hmm. So maybe you're listening and you have some teenagers that are getting a lot of negative attention right now. What I don't want you to feel is guilt because you can't change the past. But you can change the present and change the direction that you're moving in in the future by believing, by confessing, by admitting, by repenting, by recognizing what you've done that's led to this place so that you can change what tomorrow looks like. I remember listening to this podcast about this father who actually he was the governor of Tennessee and he was talking to his daughter-in-law about the Enneagram and figuring out like, oh my goodness, I raised my son um, out of a framework of shame that I wanted to look better and so on and so forth. And he was saying, I, I feel sorry about that. I wish he knew that. And his daughter-in-law looked at him and said, it's not too late. You yeah. can you can fix There's the wrong there. that you did. And so that birthed mm. in them a conversation of between him and his son. And I think his son is in his 30s. And just the power of saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Please forgive me. It doesn't matter what age your kids are, whether they're five, whether they're 50 or so on and so forth. The fact that if we can realize the parts where we've done wrong and then we realize how we can do better then the next step is to really confess, right? Confess Mm. to our kids. Like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. I didn't know how that would hurt you. I didn't know better. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And that's way better than just passing it over and trying to be different tomorrow. Because they're like, well, how do I know you're going to be different tomorrow? Right. If there was there even a heart change or not. So the first excerpt that I read from was from the way that we believe that lie that you are who you raise. The the second excerpt that I read from was from the section of this chapter where I was like, well, actually, you're not who you raise. So let's finish off this episode by me reading the conclusion of this chapter, just so you get a a sense of where the chapter is heading, because there is hope. Whether it's helicopter parenting, lawnmower parenting, or whatever will come next, underneath it all is a desire for control. And if there's one empty promise the gig economy makes, it's control. In fact, do you remember that creative control was listed as one of the reasons children aspire to be YouTubers? The only problem is that the older your children get, 
the less control you will have over them. So if your path to contentment is to live vicariously through your children, it'll only work for so long. Eventually, when your children refuse to be controlled by you and they cut you off or move away, what will you do then? Who or what will you turn to? All throughout Tiger's life, even when he was in college, his dad, Earl, controlled him. There is even one instance when Earl, being short on cash, used Tiger to put on a golf clinic. Earl barked orders, then Tiger hit the ball on command. Bark, hit. Bark, hit. Bark, hit. After doing this for 45 minutes, Tiger faced the crowd and answered questions. Actually, to be more precise, Earl answered for Tiger. A child raised his hand and asked, Tiger, what was your best score? Earl answered the question. Another child raised his hand. Tiger, what's your favorite club? Earl answered again. A third child's hand shot up. Yes, Earl said, acknowledging the boy. The boy pointed at Tiger and said, does he talk? It's interesting to see what happened to Earl's controlling relationship with his son after Tiger turned pro. Instead of finding contentment, since the unfulfilled dreams that had been driving his life were finally realized, he continued to search for it. He thought that Tiger becoming the best golfer in the world would satisfy him, but it didn't. So in his quest for control and contentment, realizing that it's not found in who you raise, he turned to the lie that you are who you know. Instead of going to Tiger's tournaments and surrounding himself in his son's success, he surrounded himself with women instead. Rather than controlling his son because he couldn't anymore, he switched his focus to controlling women by paying for them. And that's the thing with this lie and every other lie in this book. They seem so alluring because they give you the illusion of control, but they never keep their end of the bargain. No matter what your children accomplish or achieve, it will never satisfy. Nothing they do will ever make you feel whole, fixed, or content. They will never be able to cover up the shame from your past because you're not who you raise. So instead of trying to find contentment by controlling them, why not choose another way? These seven lies, including the one in the next chapter, just don't satisfy. They can't. Wait, can you keep reading? <laughs> well, let's end of that chapter. Oh! <laughs> the next chapter is the other side of shame. Oh! Okay. Well, yeah. there you go, folks. Yeah. If you want to find out more, which I know you do, you're going to have to go to danielm.com slash you are or wherever books are sold. Yeah. And if you go there, you'll be able to see a trailer that my publisher filmed for me on the book. And yeah, just learn a little bit more about the book and see what other people have to say about it and find all the links, regardless of the country that you're in to order it. So we'd really appreciate it if you pick up a copy. And if you do, then just shoot a picture of your receipt to inbetweenpodcast at gmail.com and you'll be entered in for a draw for a pair of my favorite wireless earbuds. And we're going to keep this open for the next couple of weeks because we know sometimes life gets busy and you can't listen to the podcast right away. So we wanted to keep that open for a couple of weeks. So do that. And next week, oh, next week. We have a really good yes. episode. Yeah. So we were honored to interview Gary Thomas. He is Yeah, this is the, a dream for us. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know when you make your like 
hero lists or oh, whatnot yes. of like yeah. who you would love mm-hmm. to interview. He was one of the top and for good reason too. He is a best-selling author and he's going to share with us the good, the hard, and the beauty of marriage. So make sure you subscribe to our podcast so that it just comes right to you. You don't even have to do anything. All you need to do is just wait and it'll come right to you. And for all the show notes of today, you can go to inbetween.org slash episode 85. All right, we'll see you next week. This episode was brought to you in part by the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast, an outreach dedicated to bringing joy, strength, intimacy, and purpose to couples seeking growth. Be sure to visit enneagramandmarriage.com to find your chemistry together again, or for the very first time.